0: Hello everybody, welcome back to another week, another episode of Dan Gregg's Seminary Tidbits. Now it's been a little bit since the last time I've spoken with you guys, but regardless, I'm happy to be back and talking with you, let you know what's going on in my life. What's happened in the meantime since I've met you guys is I have ended my Synoptic Gospels class. I've begun my Pauline Epistles class and I've written um, my first sermon. Now, I have not delivered my first sermon, but I have written my first sermon and it's been graded. So um, I guess it's good enough to deliver at some point, but no, I haven't gotten past that milestone yet of having delivered my first sermon. It's only been written and graded. I'm planning on delivering it um, at a senior home uh, in the coming weeks. I think maybe in two or three weeks. Kind of test out um, my ability to deliver something like a sermon. I'm hoping and praying that uh, I don't freak out and lock up or anything like that. But it's important to find this kind of thing out early. I was also blessed with the opportunity over Easter break to serve with my pastors back home in Darien for the Holy Week services. It was exciting to wear my clerical collar up in front of all the people I grew up uh, knowing and leading certain elements of the liturgy and doing the readings. But who knows, maybe this summer I'll be able to deliver a sermon. I think that would be really exciting. I've also been able recently to focus on <clears throat> strengthening both my body and mind, both through lifting weights as well as practicing guitar. I began practicing guitar more often uh, with the desire to perform for my small group on Sunday nights. We have a renewed effort to uh, incorporate worship into our small group time and so this ends up being a lot more fun uh having an instrument to go along with our singing especially when we're in the sanctuary on sunday nights playing the guitar also gives me something to do as a hobby uh during the week it helps me blow off steam and stress in between doing assignments and writing my sermons it's something creative i can do and Uh, Something to apply my mind to uh, hand-finger coordination and stuff like that, as opposed to just uh, watching videos or movies or TV. And speaking of TV, I've really had a good time uh, with the March Madness basketball tournament, um, being able to watch those games with the other guys here at the seminary and compete with our brackets, seeing who's got the furthest. But speaking of seeing who got the furthest, I have a very strange story to tell you guys about something that happened before Easter that involves an Easter egg hunt. So this story begins after I was done visiting some people in the hospital, as I do each week for my field congregation. And by the way, I'm really, really enjoying visiting people in the hospital, doing hospital visits. I believe that's one of uh, a big element of my calling. I really enjoy being with the people that are in the hospital, talking with them, reading with them, and praying with them. But anyways, one Friday, a couple weeks ago, I had just finished visiting with someone at the hospital, and I got a text from my fiance Brigida. And she said, let's go to my township's adult Easter egg hunt. Now, I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of a or an adult Easter egg hunt. I have not, let me tell you. But what this consists of is waiting until the sun goes down. And everyone has either a flashlight or a headlamp. And you go and look for plastic Easter eggs out in the park district, specifically because this was benefiting the township's park district itself. Now, you you paid uh, about $10 to get <clears throat> into this competition, and inside these Easter eggs that were hidden were tickets that had numbers on them that matched different prize baskets that were on the picnic tables under the pavilion. Now keep in mind, guys, this was a few weeks ago when it was very cold. And here in St. Louis, that also meant not snow, but pouring rain. So everybody was huddled together under this single light source being a light bulb. And that was, you know, swaying back and forth under this pavilion. It was cold. Our our fingers were locking up. And all we had to look forward to was both the Easter egg hunt to warm up our bodies and the possibilities and hopes that the Easter egg hunt had in store for us with those tickets inside the eggs, with the hopes that we might win Raising Canes or Walmart gift cards from these baskets. They started drawing tickets for door prizes, so things like coffee mugs, etc. And we all were just, you know, of course starting to freeze and like I was said, locking up from the cold, uh, dribbling noses from the the cold. And all we had to look forward to was that that Easter egg hunt in the very near but what seemed like far future, they kept announcing, "Oh, the sun hasn't gone down yet. Oh, just a little bit more, ten more minutes. And so imagine the speed of which everyone ran to the starting line once they said, okay, it's time to start looking for the eggs. So my fiance, Brigida, her mother and I, we all lined up at the line, everybody hooting and hollering for this show to get started. And finally they, you know, basically, you know, shot the gun. And let me tell you guys, I believe if we counted the Easter egg hunt lasted about 10 seconds. I'm not kidding, maybe nine seconds. Everyone was so pent up to do this and they were so cold and they wanted to exercise so much to heat up their bodies that we ran and got all the eggs scooped up into our Aldi bags in 10 seconds. And keep in mind, there were 1,000 eggs. So the next part of this uh extra egg extravaganza was to go under that same pavilion. And by the way, it was pouring rain uh, during this Easter egg hunt. The next uh, portion was to go under that same pavilion with all the torrential rain pouring down the sides and we're all huddled together. And we began in complete silence, popping open every plastic egg in our bags, being mindful not to drop any tickets. Everyone then began to rearrange all their tickets and try to organize them by number because they were going to begin calling out the numbers that won. This became even more terrifying because everyone was completely silent and we were all huddled together, looking directly at our hands, thumbing our tickets side to side, just handfuls of tickets, just thumbing side to side under a single light bulb in the bleak darkness of a cold March night, vying with hope that our ticket number might be called. And I couldn't help but think of waiting for my Messiah. No, I'm just kidding. But that will be a night that I never forget. It was a very quick but quiet drive home. Uh, And thankfully, NPR was there to fill the silence. This was also a very formative experience for me, my fiancé, and my future mother-in-law. I'm sure that none of us will ever forget this experience, and we'll look back on it fondly. And of course, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Now, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what I've been learning about the Apostle and St. Paul in my new class. So the first thing that I learned about Paul was sort of strange and just something I never thought about. So I always thought of Paul as this old guy with uh, white hair and a beard and, you know, maybe he was a little hunched over and I guess that maybe is from movies and art, but who knows? I guess that's how I think of all uh, ancient people, um, Mostly informed by how I think of maybe like Aristotle or something like Socrates and Plato, which is interesting when you think about it because that means I would think of Paul as more of a. I don't know. I don't want to go into that. But the point being is, Paul was about a decade younger than Jesus. So imagine this 23 year old guy running around persecuting Christians. So this guy is in the prime of his life and. He has all this power at a young age. He's terrifyingly literate in many languages and of the law. And he's coming to get you and your family and, you know, everybody that you know that's your friends and your, your small church. And so what do we know about Tarsus, the place where Paul grew up? Well, Tarsus uh, was ruled by Caesar Augustus's tutor, Tarsus was a city of culture. It had great schools. Uh, The culture valued education, and so most people, regardless of social class, were educated. However, it also lacked moral standards and was renowned for that. Their industry was linen and canvas, and so that leads to the common understanding that Paul was a tent maker. So don't think that this is strange. Think of this as Tarsus was an important city to the, the Roman military because they made tents, you know, as part of the maybe what we would understand as the military-industrial complex. And this also could give insight into how Paul's family received Roman citizenship. Uh, a common theory is that Paul's family did a favor for the The military with the tent making and they were granted citizenship and so what does Roman citizenship entail well let me tell you most importantly it made it so that you couldn't get cruel or unusual punishment and you couldn't be killed without a proper trial so that meant for Paul that he couldn't just be killed He had to have a trial, and of course, we know from the book of Acts that that's what happened, and he couldn't have a cruel or unusual punishment or death, and so he couldn't be crucified, like, say, Peter or Jesus. And another funny thing that we talked about in class was, who would name their kid Saul? Because who do we, you know, as modern Christians know Saul as? We know Saul as King Saul, from the Old Testament, the guy who tried to kill David and the guy who killed himself in battle. What's so honorable about him? Well, we know from the New Testament that Paul was a descendant of the Benjaminites. And so who was second to Benjamin in the tribe of Benjamin? Well, King Saul. And how would a Jew understand Saul to be as a person? Well, he was the first Jewish king, and he died having shown remorse for his sins. He lost his life in battle, knowing that he would lose it before the battle, which showed honor. He observed all the priestly laws of purity. He only had one wife for his entire life, unlike King David. And In fact, David the king got cursed for not burying Saul in honor. The name Saul is pretty awesome as well in Hebrew. Saul means asked of God or basically an answer to prayers. So Saul's a pretty awesome name if you think about it, especially to Jews at the time. Paul said that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now what does this mean? Besides being a Hebrew superlative, it also meant that he identified as strongly as a child of Abraham, not as a Hellenized or very Greek Jew. And so what did it mean when he converted from Saul to Paul? Other than Paul being a name that makes more sense to Greek and Latin speakers, Paul also had a conversion of faith. And no, this doesn't mean that he recognized, oh, I worshiped a different God and now I believe in a new God. That's not what the conversion meant. There are many hypotheses, so to speak, as to what the conversion meant in academia today. But let me read a quote from one of the professors here at the seminary, Mark Seifried, Dr. Mark Seifried. All attempts to find a psychological basis for that conversion shatter against this foundational element of the new testament witness neither anxiety over his guilt nor distress over the condition of his nation prepared him for his encounter with the risen christ conversely faith in christ revealed something beyond a mere ethical or existential insight to paul his eyes were opened to see the glory of the crucified and risen christ who he says quote loved me and gave himself up for me, Galatians 2.20. In this same faith, the reality of his own sin and guilt was exposed. Neither his good standing as a member of the nation of Israel nor his energetic pursuit of the law could change who he was, a fallen human being under the power of sin and death. In his persecution of this church of God, Paul's ungodliness was exposed in its ugliest form. Yet, Precisely in the midst of this transgression, God chose to reveal his son to Paul. Then he learned that the righteous one, who in his death bore the sins of many, justifies the ungodly. That's all I need you guys to know about Paul uh, so far. I'll let you know some more next week. Thanks so much for listening. Let me say a quick prayer for you guys. Dear Lord, Thank you so much for all that you've done for us in very known and often unknown ways to us. I pray, Lord, that as we work and study and learn over the coming week, we do so with the hopes of seeking and following your will and way. As we interact with each other and even our enemies next week, fill us with the hope And peace that's given to us in our baptismal identities and help us always to, in everything we do, point to you, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. I'll hopefully have another one next week. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced and recorded by Daniel Gregg, copyright 2018.